Two would be people that love this time of year. Like fall, rain, can hashtag white girl pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> that was the wrong time to wave your hand, bro. He's like, hey! Um, I, this is one of my favorite seasons. All you who love um, summer and sun, you're probably not here. You're probably in Arizona actually right now listening online. Um, but this idea where I love it, not because of the lattes, not because of the rain. My wife loves the rain and the leaves. Uh, two of my favorite things kick off in September and October. Number one being the hockey season. Uh, the NHL gets up, gets back going. Um, Love, I grew up playing hockey my whole life, and hunting would be the other thing. And if you're, uh, maybe you don't love vegetarian or vegan, uh, I'm excited that uh, free-range, grass-fed grocery shopping begins in September and October. Um, Don't at me. Uh, It's fine. We can disagree on that. But I I love it around hockey. I was watching it last night. Uh, The Canucks weren't playing, but the uh, the little bit of rivalry between, if anyone's following it, uh, Drew Doughty and Kachuk with the... Calgary, does anyone watch hockey at all? Is it, okay, like three of you, awesome, here we go. Uh, with, uh, just rivalry between the teams and the Flames got spanked last night. Um, but I, I grew up playing hockey all through kind of from grade, about six years old when I learned how to walk. Well, actually probably after. If I'm learning to walk when I'm six years old, my little girl Zoe has no hope. But pretty early on, I was on skates playing hockey all the way through high school. Uh, I actually started playing in a competitive league again this year. For the last year, I was playing a little bit of drop-in where there's no refs, no rules, so there's no competition. Um, But it's interesting. My mind sees the game as fast or better. Hopefully, I have a more mature mind as a 29-year-old than a 17-year-old. Sees the game a little bit more fast. I hope that my temper is a little bit more under control, and I hope that I can represent Jesus a little bit better than I did in high school with a hockey stick in my hand. and, but we're, we're sitting in the first game this year again, so there's refs, there's stats, there's one person in the crowd, wasn't there for me, but it didn't matter, I thought they were. I was ready to go first shift, get out there, and again, my mind's seeing the game, it's fast, and like, oh, there's a puck, go for it, this and that. The only problem was the difference between my mind and my body. Um, <laughs> my, my 17-year-old self that was in the gym five days a week playing rep hockey on a strict diet, playing rugby on the ice seven times a week, uh, it had a little bit more capability than my current uh, pastor body. We'll put it that way. Uh, and my developing dad bod. Um, <laughs> Mr. Johnny Jenkins. I need that anointing here over here. Um, but it, it was to see where I got off, well, barely got off the ice, kind of just threw myself over the bench, landed on there, and proceeded to throw up uh, because my lungs were on fire, my legs, and it was a situation where I had an expectation that it was going to be great, and proud to say I didn't throw up last game I played. I'm getting some progress in there. Um, but, I mean, you know, one of the team like, yeah, you put me center, I can do this, realized I have no ability to skate back and forth more than once. Uh, so I'll play center, I said, but I'm not going to back check. Uh, I'm not going to do this and just feed me the puck, I'll shoot, then I'm off. And so we put, I said, you got to put me with people that don't want to be on long because I'm like 15 seconds gassed. Um, but the team's doing pretty good, thankfully, because there's other people on the team. Um, but I remember one time when I was playing hockey, it was uh, in my grade nine hockey year. And I had this coach's new team went up uh, into midget, uh, which is a league for those who know hockey and playing rep. And, and I had this one assistant coach named Brian. I was playing center forward at the time. And for whatever reason, he didn't really like me. He had very low expectations of my ability. 
and didn't think for whatever I don't I was probably because right after tryouts I told him I was never going to make a Wednesday night practice because that was youth and so he didn't really like that and I think he wanted to have me cut but the head coach liked me so he said no we'll keep him and so I practiced with a different league but he was in charge of who got to play when and and so because of his low expectations of me he also gave me very little opportunity. Every time there was a power play, it wasn't on. Every time the game was on the line, it wasn't on. And that's really what I lived for. I wasn't good uh, most of the time at hockey, but when the game was on the line, something just switched to me. And I was like, I loved those moments. I loved being the person that could make a difference on the ice or not. Unfortunately, that passion led to me owning the penalty box more often than not. And maybe that's why I didn't get these opportunities because the game would be on the line. I'd two-hand someone in the, in the leg and then we'd be shorthanded for the rest of the game. And we lost. Um, but in the city where he gave me very little opportunity. And because of that little opportunity, the experience that I had that year wasn't very good at all. I think the year before I had about 34, 40 goals, and that year I had six. Six goals. My, his expectation of me was terrible, so he gave me very little opportunity, which led to a very bad experience with me and Brian. Thankfully, his son aged out, and he left. And the next year, I was a coach I had before, a coach named Tim. Tim loved me. Good old Timmy. Um, and so I was back on the first line and centering. And because he had high expectations, we'd played before and scored a lot, where he, he had very high expectations of my skill and my ability. And because of that, he gave me a whole lot more opportunity. I was on the power play. I was on the penalty kill. I started every period. When the game was on the line, I was on the ice. And I loved it. Because of that high expectation, there was lots of opportunity. Because of lots of opportunity, my experience was way better. I went from six goals to 34 goals again and, and went on. He was my coach for the rest of the two years, and I was on my way to the NHL. The only problem was I wasn't good. I was short and not very skilled. But other than that, I would have made the NHL, and it would have been fantastic. See, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Craig kicked off our series called Holy Spirit. Uh, he's not weird. And I know in a room this size, there's many, many different experiences or or expectations when it comes to who the Holy Spirit is, how we interact with Him. I know maybe if you're here for the first time, you have zero expectation. You're, well, what is the Holy Spirit? Is, is that kind of like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, wallet, watch? Like, what, what like kind of bless you, Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit? Like, maybe you've heard it before, but you're not really sure. And I know the reality is maybe some of you are like me that maybe growing up, you had some pretty negative experiences with the Holy Spirit where people got weird when the Holy Spirit was moving, and maybe it's something that you just, you, you really not go there. You love Jesus, and you love the Holy Spirit. You know, there's, there's some job for him, but you're a little uncomfortable going there. And maybe actually more true to myself is you've had some uncomfortable experiences, but you've also had some unbelievably powerful experiences that have shaped you forever, but you always are in this tension of what do we do, and how do we do, and I have a lot of experiences, but what really does the Bible teach? And I remember people teaching, preaching sermons about how the Holy Spirit worked without using a Bible verse, and it was all their own experience. And when it comes to areas of what we believe with Jesus, how we interact with Him or the Holy Spirit, I think it's very important that experience is part of our relationship with Jesus, but we don't base our theology on our experience. We base our theology on what the apostles tell us, the eyewitness accounts in the New Testament, the Old Testament, what the Bible tells us of this. And, and through that, I believe there's a beautiful experience to be had. But I think it's important when we study this. We need to put our experiences, our expectations, based on our past experiences. 
to the side and say, God, would you speak to me really what this means? And Pastor Craig talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, he's not weird, but he is supernatural, which simply means this, that your natural, how life has been before meeting Jesus, it should be a little bit different. I've heard it said that you can't expect to encounter the divine, that being God, a supernatural being, without having the fingerprints of the divine on your life. It would be silly to expect to come to Jesus without seeing some aspect of the supernatural affected you if we're called into this new life, and you read the Bible, you were once dead, but now you're alive. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. We're called to usher in his kingdom. We're no longer citizens of this world, but citizens of the kingdom of God. And all these verses speak to a supernatural experience. And so we're called to expect that and look at this. And oftentimes when it comes to our relationship with Holy Spirit, I think it can maybe be a little bit like my relationship with my coaches, if you have very little expectation of what you expect Holy Spirit to do in your life, you'll probably give him very little opportunity to move. You'll spend little time and attention, effort, thinking about it, pressing into it, expecting God to move. And with little expectation and little opportunity, your experience will probably be limited. Again, there's extremes in this. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was moving in our hearts when we said yes to Jesus before we had any expectation. And, and then there's the other side where the Holy Spirit isn't our genie that we can rub a little thing and do this, do that, and kill my neighbor and do this and cut my lawn. And like, there's the extremes. Obviously, you can have some really crazy, unrealistic expectations. But when our expectations find themselves in the boundary of the Word of God, I think that's how we have to go about this, this topic. That's how we have to go about this relationship. And I want to let you know a little bit, some of you that don't like school, we're going to do a little bit of teaching today. My goal is, is pretty simple today. My goal is to raise your expectation when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, when it comes to your relationship with the Holy Spirit and how you are actually to encounter him based on what we see in the Word of God. So what we're going to do is we're going to, there's going to be some, a lot of scripture today. We're going to take one passage that we're going to look through, but for those who really want to study this, and some of you, you're like, great, awesome, that's good, but some other ones, maybe you, you have some conflicting thoughts. You've heard other things taught before where at uh, the bottom of the, uh, the screen a couple of times, I just listen to a bunch of different scriptures because we don't have the time. We could go through it all, but we'd be here for about four and a half hours, and I would fall asleep, and so would you. But we're going to look at, and I want to ask a couple questions, and a little bit different, if you heard me preach for a little bit different, where I want to just kind of present to you the evidence and allow you to wrestle with this. We're not really going to conclude this today. I'm going to pose some questions that I want you to wrestle with. I want you to consider your expectations. And our overarching question today that we're going to look at, we'll throw it up on the screen here, is what do I expect out of my relationship with the Holy Spirit? As we talk today, I want you to be pondering that. I want you to be thinking, and not just what you know to say, but actually think about your life. Think about last Thursday. What did you expect out of your relationship with Holy Spirit last Thursday? Did you expect, was there, was there any expectation? And so we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts chapter 8 
it'll be a little bit of our, our, our jumping off, a little bit of background here that uh, the church happened, Acts 2, Pentecost come, Holy Spirit comes down, uh, people who were cowards ran from Jesus, spent a lot of time with Jesus, actually there's this boldness, they stand up to the very people who crucified Jesus, they preach, 3,000 people are saved, uh, they begin to turn the world upside down, crazy things are happening, it says in Acts 2.42 that the church actually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer, that this, this thing called the church, the way, it didn't really have a place. There was no church buildings at the time. Pretty soon they were about to get kicked out of the temple, so the only real place they met was in homes and, and just all over. But there was like this viral thing going on called the way, these followers of Jesus. And as the apostles, the 12 disciples, then called the apostles, they, as things began to grow, they realized that they can't do everything. And so they had to begin, and they, so they, they set these godly men to, hey, people who, who saw what we saw, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's this man named Stephan, who was kind of a little story about him. He begins to preach, and he preached something that people didn't really like to hear, that they actually crucified Jesus, that the whole old, the prophets and all the stories of the first and second kings in the Old Testament actually led to Jesus. And so... Unlike today, if you don't like my preaching, you get up and leave. Back then, you just stone me to death. And so Stephen actually gets stoned to death. And it starts this wide persecution. It said it spread all the Christians out of Jerusalem, except for the apostles that stayed there. And, and this is where we pick it up. It says, those who've been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip's another one who was named in these seven was Stephen that was meant to, or Stephen, depending on how you read it, um, was meant to, help take care of it. He was, the Bible says he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. It said, Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Interesting about Samaria is you kind of had the, you see, well, you know when Jesus says, hey, you'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the other most parts of the earth, that's what we're called to do now uh, as followers of Jesus, that Jerusalem was kind of where Jewish people that were true Jews lived. Samaria was like this half-breed hybrid that Go back into the Old Testament. They were from kind of Abraham, the children of Israel. There was a separation. And so they kind of believed a couple different things. They believed in God, but there was this kind of weird sex. So they were looked as like, like really kind of just like second rate. We don't associate with them. Actually, the apostle John, who later comes here, he actually asked God, hey, can I call fire down to burn up their whole city? A little bit of animosity right here. And then the other most parts of the earth we see in Acts 10, it happens when Peter goes to Cornelius' house. And the Gentiles received it. So this is, Jesus foretold that this was about to happen in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Now we see this is going here where Philip has now brought the gospel. A little bit of background. It says, and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For the, uh, with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. Many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Again, this is a pretty powerful message. It says, now, uh, and so there was great joy in the city. Now, for some time, there had been a man named Simon who practiced sorcery or witchcraft in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. It's interesting that we see people that claim to be God make it all about themselves, but as followers of Jesus, we're called to make it all about himself as followers of Jesus. Interesting point. And it says, all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Probably a self-made title. It says, they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. It says, but when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And this man, Simon, 
He himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Peter everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. If you're taking notes today, our the title of our sermon is Expect More. Expect More. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. And God, I pray that around a topic that inside Christendom uh, can kind of create some divides. God, I pray that we would not bring our experiences into our theology, but God, you would help us from an objective point of view look at how we are to interact with your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that if there's baggage or negative experiences, Lord, that we would have the boldness to look at this afresh. God, we pray you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. And so one of the next questions, and I think when it comes to it, because our, our hope today and what we're talking about is what does it really mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible talks a lot about it, but again, there's a lot of different viewpoints as to what that means. And one of the first things that we kind of get caught up in is there's one camp that would believe, and again, and hear me in this when I'm talking, there's no negative thoughts or if this is your belief that there's, there's people who love Jesus, who fear God and build his kingdom in incredible ways that find themselves in all different of these camps and all different beliefs in this. So this isn't an us versus them, but there is the thought pattern that when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit, that just means salvation. And, and I want to use this story to prove that I actually don't think that's maybe true as we can look at this a little bit differently. But I think the first question we need to ask ourselves under the overarching question of how do I interact with the Holy Spirit is what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Again, I got friends that come to church. They're not churchgoers at all. And we talk about this, like, what, what do you mean filled? What does that even mean? And then people have been around longer. We're like, no, you're not even filled with the Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Ghost. Right? And, and that's what, and it's like, but, but what does that mean? And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that you can have 10 people and 20 opinions on what that means. Right? So, well, what exactly? So, we want to take a look at this. This is by no means the only scripture reference, again, like I said, that talks about it. For, but for sake of time, we're going to use it as a sample. And then there'll be other scriptures that we talk about. So, what does it mean to be filled with a few different opinions on this, like I talked about, two camps and and I just want to walk through this passage and, and, and maybe look at how to believe that being filled with the Spirit just means salvation, that there's no expectation for anything else. There's no expectation for any other encounter or experience. That Maybe it happened in the church in Acts, but that's not today. But we see in Samaria here, if we look at it, it's interesting. In verse 5, it says, Philip proclaimed the message there. Because as we read this passage, we see that all of these things happen that would make us think that this church has been saved that these are new believers. But then we see later on, we're going to read, Peter and John are sent, and although they believed and were baptized, he said that they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. They hadn't been filled with the Spirit. So they take a moment, pray, and they're filled with the Spirit. There's some people think, well, well they, they just, maybe they just, it was just a little bit delayed. They weren't quite saved yet. But I want to look at this. Say this was a church here in Surrey. And we're looking at this idea. Verse 5 says, they proclaimed the Messiah there. Now, Philip 
wasn't just someone who read the Bible in today's day and age and learned about it. He was someone, an eyewitness. He was around when Jesus was there. Not only was he around, he was around the apostles. Not only was he around the apostles, he was trusted by the apostles to take on work in the church. So the very people that wrote scripture trusted Philip and his understanding of the ministry of Jesus, what he saw, also partook in Acts 2, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was filled. He was a man filled with the Spirit of God. If someone like that is proclaiming the gospel or proclaiming the Messiah, I think we can answer the question that he preached the full gospel of what it meant to follow Jesus. Amen? Like, he probably knew what he was saying. He's declaring the message. And, and number six says, the crowd heard the message, saw the healings and deliverances. So it wasn't just that he talked about it. He proved it with signs that people were delivered from demons, that paralyzed people were coming up. So not only were they seeing that, but the Holy Spirit is putting his stamp of approval almost, so to say, where, hey, what is teaching, there's power, that supernatural things are happening that Philip could never do on his own. And verse 8 says, there was great joy in the city. This wasn't just a message with a small group of people. This message was so impactful that lives around the city were changed, that there was joy, there was a little bit of a hop in people's step. And verse 12 says, they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Again, I don't think there's any wiggle room in there. Like, well, maybe they didn't talk about repentance or uh, did they have an altar call? Did they really raise their hand? Did they just, like, they believed it. He talked about the kingdom. He talked about Jesus Christ. It wasn't just this idea of Judaism and, and Yahweh, but it was this new covenant teaching of Jesus. Verse 12 says, not only did they believe but they also took their first step of obedience in following Jesus, and they were baptized. And later we see it wasn't just baptism into John. It was actually baptism into Jesus Christ. And so I, you kind of you, you create this case that would say, okay, I think they were saved. Like if we were to have a church say, hey, listen, uh, I went out to Princeton, a church plant there. We preached the gospel. Uh, a couple people were healed. There was a couple deliverances. They were a little bit rowdy, but we took care of that. Uh, the whole city's talking about it. Uh, we preached the gospel. People believed it. They responded it. And we just had 3,000 people publicly declare that they want to follow Jesus and take their step into baptism. One of the first commandments is those who follow Jesus. How many here would say like, yeah, I, I think they received Jesus. Salvation happened in that moment. Yeah, I can, again, I'll use Pastor, I can see you in this moment. <coughs> that it's probably, probably safe to say that. I think most of us would be like, dear Jesus, revival is happening in Surrey. Like, we pray and dream of moments like that. This is what has just happened. And not only here, but we're going to throw up, we see that the moment of salvation is where a person receives the Holy Spirit in their heart. We can throw it up here. And, and again, here's a couple other passages. If you want to take a picture, you can write it down to study it out a little bit more. That's the, the moment when someone believes, like we just talked about, what happens in those moments is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and actually makes us home in your heart. That literally is that moment of salvation. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. This moment where you understand that you could never pay for your sins, but Jesus came, died on the cross, paid for your sins, supernaturally rose from the dead and was exalted on high and sent his Holy Spirit to come and rescue that part of your soul that you never could. It's this moment of salvation where God begins to work and shift and change. And Maybe you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, can I tell you that available to you is to receive this gift of the forgiveness of your sins. You might live life for Christ and 
The Holy Spirit comes and it's no longer God with us, Emmanuel, but it's God in us. It's the Holy Spirit. This is salvation. But I think sometimes we stop here. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that you're called to expect more. There's more to be experienced through the Holy Spirit than this moment where he forgives your sins and he makes his home in your heart. The moment of salvation is where a person receives the Holy Spirit, but there's more. As we continue to read, we see there's a difference in Acts chapter 9 between receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation and being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 14 to 17, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Some of us would ask why. It was, it was actually a custom. We see later on in Acts chapter 10 when Peter goes to the Gentiles in Cornelius, he actually has to come back and report to the council what happened and why. And, and so the apostles, they begin to hear like, this is happening in Samaria. And, and again, this isn't in scripture. I just assume and I can kind of read into this that, hey, Jesus said this would go there. So they were probably sent to investigate to see what was happening. Is this of God? Is this not? Because that was their job to make sure things were according to what Jesus said because they did life with Jesus and they go and Jesus said it would go to Samaria. Is this it or is this something else that's happening? And so they go to investigate. They go to see what's going on, this news that they've heard that people are being changed, that people have given their life to Jesus. It says, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Again, they weren't unaware of what had happened. It said they heard about it, and that's what caused them to come. But as they begin to investigate, seeing that, yes, these people are saved, they've received the Holy Spirit, they also realized that there was more for them in this experience with the Holy Spirit than they had experienced in that moment. Next slide. This is because, why did they do it? Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. What that does not mean is that the Holy Spirit was not in them. They didn't receive it, that you're not saved. Again, salvation is the definition, like the, our working definition is when the Holy Spirit comes in us. So they had been saved. They took their first step in discipleship, followed Jesus in baptism. But here we see that they had yet to receive the Holy Spirit. He had not come on them, this different sense, or to be filled. Again, the interchangeable words we use here is empowered, baptized, filled, because the, in Scripture, we see these words speak of this separate, different from salvation moment and encounter with the Holy Spirit. We good? I know we had a little bit of teaching. We'll get there, trust me. But I just, I really want to build a framework. Because I know in my own life, sometimes I'll hear teaching. I go, ah, I'm not, not really sure about that. I want to use Scripture to show you that Jesus died to pay for you to have an opportunity to experience the Holy Spirit in a way that radically transforms you and the world around you. And if the enemy could silence the church and the power of what God wants to do in any way, I think it would be to lower the expectation of experience in the Holy Spirit with confusion, with bad background, with bad experiences. But I also believe that through the eyewitness accounts of the New Testament of apostles and Paul and other people as they write about the experience that happened to them that is also available for us that it can radically transform not only you but the world around you. This is why it's important that we understand what we believe. So we go through that. It says that, um, can we go back to the last slide there? 
It's because the Holy Spirit did not come upon them. They've simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, in Acts 19, we see that Paul's actually with the church in Ephesus. There's some disciples, and he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? He says, no, we've only received the baptism of John. So in that situation, maybe they were just believed they heard about it, but here we see it's actually the baptism into Jesus Christ. This is new covenant relationship with Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to get into, we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks, but what they happened in that moment was not just a prayer. Apparently, there was evidence visibly that happened that were supernatural because as you continue to read, this guy, sorcerer Simon, he actually offered to bribe and pay cash to the apostles. He goes, hey, I'll pay you money. Give me that power. Teach me how to do that so I can just see what I saw. So again, this isn't just believing it's salvation. There was someone, they prayed for them, laid their hands on them. There was a visible evidence. We don't see in this passage what it was. Some passages show us what it is. Again, I think we can get hung up on that, but the important thing is, is that something different happened. There was a release of the power of the Holy Spirit that was evident. The people saw it, they knew about it. It's to be expected when we're filled with the Holy Spirit that this begins to happen. So what does being filled with the Holy Spirit mean for us? Here's our next definition. Again, we're asking these questions. We know it's not salvation, but what actually is it? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a moment that is separate, different from salvation, where you say yes to following Jesus, where there is a greater filling of Holy Spirit that is evident And the results in, and here's just some of the things that we see throughout Scripture that happen a lot, is a new boldness to be his witnesses. Again, Jesus promises in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, it says, wait in Jerusalem, we're going to talk talk about this, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses, that we proclaim the good news of Jesus, that boldness to witness is supernatural power is actually what to be expected, not feared, not weirded out by, again, it's not weird, but it is supernatural And we see that in these moments of Holy Spirit filling, there's this new grace to live more like Jesus. What that means is there's a little less selfishness in you. You're a little bit more able to go through hard situations because the power of the Holy Spirit gives you the grace to go through things that you could not go through on your own. I think we need to begin to expect more when it comes to our relationship with Holy Spirit, because the bottom line is, or sorry, we'll go to the next slide again, because I told you I'd do this. Here's just a couple other situations where we see being filled, being separate. We see in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, 1 to 41, with the 120 in the upper room. We see Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 8, when he's facing the same people that crucified Jesus, said, filled with the Spirit, he spoke with boldness. And after that little encounter with these people at the temple where they were beaten and, and, and threatened, they go into a prayer room. They don't pray, God, stop the persecution. God, stop this. He said, God, give us the grace to keep preaching and the boldness to do it. And in Acts 4, 31, the same people in Acts 2, we're praying, and they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. We see Stephen in Acts chapter 6, 3 to 8. One of the reasons he was chosen to do what he did as a deacon of the church is that he was filled with the Spirit. And in the midst of him be about to being stoned, it says in Acts six fifty five that being full of the Spirit, he looked up, that there's a moment where he was filled with, separate from salvation. Saul, who then turned to Paul in Acts chapter 9, verses 17 to 19, with Ananias, he said that I was sent here, Paul, to pray for you, that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. He'd already believed, but then he was filled with the Holy Spirit to do what he did in Cornelius' house with Peter. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44, Peter's just preaching. 
He's just talking about Jesus, and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit fell. And later, when the apostles were like, why did you do that with the Gentiles? He goes, I was just talking about Jesus. And the same thing that happened in Acts 2 happened here. Then I just said, well, I guess you should get water baptized, because apparently Jesus doesn't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile, so we shouldn't either. We see this beautiful spreading of the gospel, and Paul and the disciples in Ephesus, like we talked about in Acts 19, 1-7. There's a lot of difference, and this is just in the book of Acts through going through it. Again, I'm sure you could read it. It's not specifically talk about it where we can see that when you follow Jesus, we're called to expect more when it comes to this relationship with Jesus. I know you might have had a bad experience, but can I encourage you today that your experience does not trump the word that Jesus left us and what we're called to expect today and I know there's some teaching, I won't get too much in this, that, oh, the gifts died with the church. But we see in, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about the different gifts and says, these were the greatest of these are love, and the former will pass away when the perfect comes. Jesus has not returned yet, which that is referencing. So until the moment when Jesus comes and takes us back into heaven, and we don't need prophecy because we can know perfectly with Jesus, the gifts are alive and well and needed in the church today. And if you want to talk more, we can talk more after. We're not going to get too much into that. And the second question, or third question, is, is it, or that we need to ask about being filled is, is this a one-time occurrence? Or is it something that we do a lot? Because there's some teaching where you're filled with the Holy Spirit and that's it. You know, some of us, it was maybe 20 years ago where it's like you got this little trophy, metaphorically speaking, on your life up in the, in the corner here. It's, yeah, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues, or, or I, was probably, I got healed and that was the moment and that's good. I don't need to do it again. Then we see that this isn't what God calls us to expect either. How distant, how impersonal would a relationship with a God be that I'll meet with you once and then I'll see you in heaven? You just, that's it. That's all you need. That's all. I talk to people and I'm like, hey, you know, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Like, yeah, the summer camp one time. Like, well, anything recently? I'm like, no, I just, well, what happened? I can't remember, but I know, I know what happened. Like, this isn't like getting your driver's license and hopefully you don't lose it. And you keep it for the rest of your life, and, you know, once in a while you go, but it's called to be this daily filling. We see Peter was filled in Acts 2, like we talked about. And then a couple days later in Acts 4, he's filled again with the Holy Spirit. He prays, and there's this moment where there's new boldness and wisdom given. Jesus talked about this. He says, hey, what, you know, there's times where it's good, but we're about to go into a time here where people are going to begin to persecute you, and you're going to be brought before kings and the temples, and you don't need to worry about what to say, because in those moments, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. We see that Peter is in a moment like this situation, and the Bible says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, got new boldness, and began to speak. And just a couple verses later, in verse 30, 31, they're praying again, same people that were filled the one time in Acts 2, which spread the church, or then filled again in Acts chapter 4, verses 30, where there's new boldness that begins to happen. I think we need to expect more when it comes to our relationship with Holy Spirit. It was never meant, it's meant to be an ongoing occurrence, not just a one-time event. That we see in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul begins to talk about, you were once children of darkness, and you lived in sexual morality and all of these different things and cussing and all these. You lived life this way. But now that you've been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, you're actually called to be children of light. Where you speak with kindness, with dark, and, and, and you don't talk, though, you don't live the way you used to live. And implied in that is this idea that you can't do that on your own. Because it means dying to yourself. And we love ourselves. 
We're selfish. That's intrinsic to our human nature. We're always focused about us. How does this affect me? How do I get ahead? What does that person think about me? But the Spirit causes us to be outward focused, not inward focused. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 5. He goes in, I think it's in verse 18. And he's using this analogy. He goes, how do you actually do this? How is it possible to live a life as children of light that's brand new to you and to completely reject and stop living the way you've lived your entire life up to that point of salvation? And let's be honest in this room, after that point of salvation, because I don't think there's a person in this room that, no, I received Jesus and never again did I struggle with sin and I would love to meet you and have you lay hands and pray for me that there's this constant battle between flesh and spirit in our bodies. But Paul says, hey, you used to get drunk with wine. And you know the same way that wine, when you were drunk with it, it caused and it completely controlled your body and how you saw things. It was so influential that people could look at you and see that something was wrong. You were intoxicated. So the way you used to get drunk with wine as children of light, you're called to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's so much so that it changes how you see things. It changes how you talk, that people are around you. There's a fragrance around your life that they can smell it. They can see it. That it's obvious that you are being affected by something outside of yourself that has no longer remained outside, but you have ingested and it remains inside to this overflowing moment where it changes and affects everything in your life. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And this word means to be filled and to continue to be filled. It's an ongoing present verb in the Greek where it says continue to do this, not just once, but daily when you wake up. If you're ever going to walk out the Great Commission, we're called to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit is more than an event. It's meant to be a lifestyle. I think we're called to expect more. Another question I think we need to ask if we understand that this is what we're called to expect is, is it, if that's what being filled means, is it important? Again, like, what really is it? Is it important to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I want to quickly walk through some of the reasons why I see it to be vital. And I believe that Scripture tells us this as well. We see first that Jesus was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we're not get too much into this, but if Jesus' death on the cross was to be valid for you and I, there's nothing he could have done as God because that would have been a rightful payment. That because man had sinned, man had to die. And it's this supernatural mystery that Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. But everything he did, he did not in his deity being his God nature. He actually did in his humanity. And we see that at his baptism before he went in. Again, Acts 10, 37, 38 references this. But we see it in Mark 3, 16 to, and, uh, to chapter 4, verse 1. That in his baptism, the Holy Spirit came and it rested upon him. And he was empowered to go and do his ministry. If that's not encouraging you, I don't know what was. When Jesus rose people from the dead, he didn't do it as God. He did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, operating in the spiritual gifts that are available to you and available to me today. He said, I don't do anything under my own will. I only do what I hear the Father telling me to do, just like as you, as a son or a daughter of Christ, have a right to come boldly before the throne of grace to hear God speak to you, to show you his will, that we might be operating in the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit to do the things that Jesus did. 
That if our Savior, the one we're called to model our life after, was empowered and it was important for Him to be filled with the Spirit, how much more so for us to be filled with the Spirit? We see not only that Jesus was He filled and empowered, but we see that Jesus promised it and He actually commanded that they wait. He says, before you go do anything, wait in Jerusalem till the promise of Joel and the promise of my Father, when the Spirit comes, in that moment you will receive power. It says in Acts 1, 4 to 5, it says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, this being Jesus, he gave them this command, not a suggestion, not an opportunity, command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but Wait. I always find it interesting when he said wait, that some scholars believe it's about 40 days they waited. I probably would have made it three. But he was three days in the grave, I waited three, uh, I'm done. Right? Like, looking at my tablet, it probably would have actually been a tablet of stone at that point. But walking, <laughs> dad joke, you're welcome. Uh, but he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. How do we come to the conclusion that this shouldn't be for us? As children of God, our Father who's perfect, not like our earthly Father, but perfect, He promised us this. It's a promise. It's a command, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I think we're called to expect a little bit more when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And one other reason why I think it's important is we can't fulfill the Great Commission without it. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, you'll be my witnesses. And you go there. And later on in that conversation, we were just reading between Jesus and his disciples in verse 8 says what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, again, separate and different from salvation. And you will be my witnesses. The result is you will be boldness. You will be my witnesses. Again, this word witnesses isn't just like talk about it. You had to be an eyewitness account. If you were a third party in a witness, it's called hearsay. So there had to be something that you personally encountered yourself that caused you to be able to be a witness. So you have to encounter the Holy Spirit for yourself. You can't just read or hear about what other people have gone through to become a witness. It says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, like we read in Acts chapter 8, to the ends of the earth. That this is some of Jesus' last words to us. And I think it should be some of our first priority. I think we're called to expect more when it comes to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. What do we get out of this? What happens? We talked about power. Power to what? Like we talked about boldness to become Jesus' witnesses around the world. For those of you in this room, when we, when we talk about the idea of bringing a friend to church and there's something inside you that just wants to crawl inside of yourself or hide under a chair. You need to understand that following Jesus doesn't mean a self-help book where you just try hard enough. 
Maybe you need to stop and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh that I might have boldness to no longer listen to my insecurities, but I might be full of your spirit that would give me a boldness, not just to go, but the wisdom that comes with this boldness to see what you see, to say what you say. There's this boldness. Not only does it give us that boldness, but it gives us the power. Power to do what? To live the way that Jesus told us. Like, this, there's two parts. We're going to talk about to follow Jesus today in the specific things, but just the general things that Jesus told us how to live. You are out of your living mind if you think that you can obey and live the way that Jesus called you to live on your own. Pray for your enemies? Are you serious? Be patient in long-suffering. When there's a situation that is over your head and terrible, don't get agitated. Don't get upset. Don't get discouraged. Be patient. Be joyful when you're persecuted. Like, are you serious right now? Don't focus on yourself. Are you serious? Love your enemy. Count it all joy when you're persecuted. And then Ephesians 5 talks about live as children of the light, not of the darkness. Maybe you're much holier than me, but old habits die hard. How are you supposed to change the way you talk? How are you supposed to change your motives? Not just your outward motives, but what are your motives for having good motives? Like the wickedness of your heart. The Bible's like, who can even know it? You're like, I'm going to serve because that's selfless. But really, you know, when I serve, people will notice me, then I'll get leadership. So your motive for serving and being selfless is selfish in the beginning. Like, do we honestly think that we can change our heart? We can change our habits? The addict, the, the one who's an habitual, like, are you serious? The student that's trying to live for Jesus but constantly gets pulled back into the culture around them and, and all of those. Do you really think it's not just try hard enough? You just look constipated and it's weird. No. The gospel isn't try harder. It's receive what Jesus did for you. And one of the things the cross did is it made a way for you to be filled. And again, that's just the, the, the chapter and verses that clearly line out. You don't even have to think, is this what I'm supposed to do? It's written out for you. Then there's the stuff that's not in the Bible that we're called to do. Hey, go to your neighbor and ask him how his mom's doing. When God gives you a word of knowledge, are you, yeah, I'm just gonna know that? You see that person in a wheelchair and you pray for them, that's just your own natural ability, doing it as yourself. Like, are you, are you serious? Like, we're called to expect more. And if I'm honest, I know in my own life times where I got bored with my faith, because I wasn't expecting God to do anything supernatural. Just going throughout it and your, your relationship with Jesus just becomes what not to do and what to do and, and do this and do right things and I do it because I know it's right. And, and again, you know, if you follow Jesus long enough, you kind of get in the hang of it. You know not to drop an F-bomb in conversations at church. You save that at home for your wife, you know? It's like all of you, you, you know what not to do.
And I wonder if we don't actively walk in the fullness of God is because we have so low expectations and because we have so little expectations of a supernatural power of God filling you and, and doing supernatural things, we give such little opportunity, such little focus. We don't wait for it at all. And we have this passive aggressive, okay God, if you wanna do it, do it. If not, I'm gonna keep going throughout my way. What happened to waiting and tarrying, saying God, if you don't show up with your power, I'm hooped. I can't do what you've called, I need you right now. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? I wanna punch my boss in the face. God, I need your patience, would you fill me again? Lord, the mortgage is coming and we got nothing left and I got no more loans. Holy Spirit, I need your courage right now. Where God opens up someone's life with a word of knowledge that you couldn't do it of yourself. Pray for someone and they get healed. You get a word for someone or this overwhelming mercy that just floods your heart that's not of you, but it's of the Holy Spirit that causes you to do things. Not only that, again, we'll talk about is it actually empowers us. Why is it important? Because it empowers us to actually execute the Father's will. You can't do that in yourself. Not only that, but with power. We're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Because as you learn to tune your ear to what the Holy Spirit is saying, and you learn to listen and obey, sooner or later, God's going to call you to do something supernatural that's beyond your ability. And you're gonna need him to supply a supernatural gift to accomplish his will. We look at Paul when he's on his, his journey. He's about to get shipwrecked. He's sitting there going and all of a sudden he gets a word of knowledge saying, hey, listen, we shouldn't go right now. If we do, we're gonna be shipwrecked. And they don't listen to him anyway. So they get in there in the midst of the storm and start freaking out. He gets a prophetic word that we need to, we need to go run ashore and we need to get there. No one's going to die, but we need to do this. If we don't, we're going to die. And we see this gift of the prophetic in the minute as he begins to listen and obey and operate on it. Then when they swim to the shore and no one's done, he builds a fire because they're cold and this serpent gets up and it bites his arm. And it's a situation where we see a miracle where he shakes it off. And it's a situation where this happened, but there's a miracle that he didn't die. And later there's this boldness to people that were trying to kill him or thought he was evil. But now they're like, oh, you must be of God. And he begins to talk about the witness about who Jesus is. And then he's brought to the chief's dad who's sick and deathly ill. And we see that there's a gift of healing in the moment where he's healed. None of these were things where like Paul was wielding, look at my shiny gifts. No. He learned to listen and obey and walk daily filled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. And as you begin to listen, and as you begin to obey, and as you have a life that says this is a constant lifestyle of being filled, God will sooner or later call you to step out and do something supernatural. I think we're called to expect more. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit is more than an event. It's meant to be a lifestyle. You want to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment as we close. Every sermon, we just have no one moving around if that's possible, just to give people a focus. If every time we come together, we always want to give an opportunity. Maybe you're here today and maybe someone invited you, you came with someone you're staying at their house, or maybe you're on a journey trying to figure out who this Jesus is, what is 
being a Christian all about. Maybe you're here today, you begin to talk that, man, I can actually have a relationship with this supernatural Holy Spirit. If you've never received Jesus, but in this moment, you want to start a relationship. You want to, like we talked about at first, that salvation where the Spirit of God comes and lives in your heart, forgives you of your sins, and leads you into a new life. If that's you today, and you say, Daniel, I want to follow Jesus. So every head bowed, every eye closed, just get privacy. And just quickly pop up your hand. I just want to pray. If there's anyone, if no one, that's totally fine. Yeah, awesome, thanks. Now right down the middle, I just don't want to miss anyone. All right. Awesome. Well, for that one hand that went up, can we just pray all together as a family? Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you died for my sins and you rose back to life to afford me a new life. I thank you that you sent your spirit to not just be around me, but to live in me. Would you help me follow you? day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And now I want to leave you with some self-reflecting questions that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I want to let you know that kind of the end of this message is this Friday coming up. We got a worship night where we're actually going to give some specific time to pray for this. And in Acts 2, we see that they were praying, Holy Spirit fell. Later on, like in Acts 8, we see there's actually a moment where they laid on hands, and that's when the Holy Spirit fell. We see that this happens a lot of different ways, sometimes during preaching, sometimes laying on of hands, sometimes just praying, sometimes in the midst of following Jesus. But we are going to take some time and pray and lay on of hands for those who would say, I, I need to expect more. But I want to ask this first question. Maybe close your eyes and just contemplate it for a minute. Is my expectation with my relationship with Holy Spirit being shaped or limited by a weird experience I've had in my past. And maybe just ask Holy Spirit. You might not be aware, but just wait and listen. Maybe he'll bring something up that you're unaware of that's shaping it, but it's your expectation of what to experience with Holy Spirit being shaped by a negative or weird experience in your past. God's just brought up something. Maybe it's, oh, I didn't realize that. Maybe it's a painful situation. Can I just encourage you that just because people are weird doesn't mean Holy Spirit is. I believe you're called to expect more, that there's more than your experience that Jesus has for you to be filled and powered by his Spirit. The second question is, when's the last time I asked Holy Spirit to fill me with an honest expectation that he would, and as a result, I would be changed? Just reflect. Not just, oh, Holy Spirit, fill me. Like, no, 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 God, I need you. And I need the result to be something visibly changed in my life. When's the last time you prayed like that? With an eager expectation.
And now I want to leave you to wrestle with this for the week. Think about your situations. If you'd be so bold, ask God to show you where he would like to fill you more. Where his power, he would like to invade your world, your life with his power a little bit more. Like I said, we'd love to invite you out this Friday night. It'll be here in the gym for our worship night. You can see it online and our Insta socials, all the details will be there. First and foremost, your life needs the power of the Holy Spirit. But more than that, our city needs a church that is no longer neutered of its power, but walks in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not to point a finger or attention to ourselves, but bring glory to God to usher his kingdom in a way to which we have yet to see. I think we're called to expect more.